Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. My name is Matt Hurt and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is my journey through the Twilight Zone as a first time viewer. Each podcast I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series and round out the show with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. But with season four of Black Mirror recently premiering on Netflix, I'm covering each episode of the latest season of Charlie Brooker's anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and for a full episode archive, including my bonus episodes covering Black Mirror's first three seasons, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And also, if you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that would be to go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for my show to stand out in the crowd of uh, TV and film podcasts. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or by visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer to set up recurring donations. Any and all donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and are greatly appreciated. Today on the podcast, I'll be discussing Crocodile. It's the third episode of Black Mirror's fourth season that premiered on December 29th, 2017 on Netflix. And as I usually do, I'll read a quick plot summary from IMDb. But from here on out, I'm going to be spoiling the entirety of Crocodile. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, go check it out on Netflix and come back and listen to it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary courtesy of IMDb. A woman interviews various people using a device that allows her to access their memories. And Crocodile stars Andrea Riseborough um, as Mia Nolan. Uh, she was previously in the movies Oblivion, Birdman, uh, and recently in Battle of the Sexes with uh, Emma Stone and uh, oh Steve Carell. Um, about the 1970s tennis match between Billie Jean King and oh, I can't remember his name. Um, but anyway, I just recently saw it. It was, it was a pretty good movie. Um, it was okay. I rented it on Google Play and it listed it as a comedy, but it's more of a historical sports drama. But it was, it was a really interesting story, something I hadn't known about. Um, anyway, uh, Andrea Riseborough also appeared in Bloodline, uh, similar to uh, Owen Teague from um, last week or the last bonus episode I did. And uh, finally, Andrea Riseborough is going to be in the Waco TV miniseries that's going to appear, uh, going to premiere later this year. I think that comes out in like March and it's going to be uh, with uh, uh, Taylor Kitsch. Co-starring in this episode as Shazia is Kieran Sonia Sawar. Uh, she has a lot of British TV credits. Um, a lot of them, well, really all of them kind of went over my head because I, I, I hadn't heard of them. But, uh, the, uh, I think this was a TV movie, Murdered by My Father, is, uh, is one of them that appears to be one of the more popular ones. Um, writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker and director was John Hillcoat who he is a director that he... Okay, so he directed uh, The Proposition 
And then he also directed The Road, Lawless, and Triple Nine. Now, The Road, Lawless, and Triple Nine. The Road, I've, I've seen all three of them, but The Road is an adaptation of Car- uh, Cormac McCarthy's uh, novel of the same name. And, like, the movie's beautiful. It's, it's really beautiful to look at, but I, I feel like there was something a little lost in translation with uh, the book to the screen. And then Lawless and Triple Nine are two movies that... Lawless is pretty good. It's like a... Um, Prohibition era outlaw kind of thing. Like it was, it was solid. It was pretty good. Um, but triple nine, like, uh, like John Hillcote is, is an interesting director because he has projects that have very famous people, like very, very talented actors in them, but they don't really leave that strong of an impression with me. And triple nine is no different. Triple nine is a movie that I thought was kind of a mess, even though it had an incredible cast. Um, it was about dirty cops and I, I just didn't, I just didn't like it. But anyway, now he's directing an episode of Black Mirror. So when it comes to Crocodile, um, my initial thoughts when I, when I watched it for the first time was that I, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it kind of felt like Black Mirror's version of, of a Coen Brothers movie to an extent. Um, and I think that the, the kind of ending kind of left an impression on me. So that's what I thought going into my second watch when I, uh, when I was making my notes for the review. And I'll just dive right into my review. Uh, once again, I'll be spoiling the entire episode. So, uh, consider yourself warned. Um, so right off the bat, I still have no idea why it's called Crocodile. Um, I'm kind of thinking that maybe there's something to, uh, the way that Mia is, cornered uh I, I like i don't know if this is what you would consider a crocodile to do but i kind of get the or i don't know if this is like a common expression but maybe there's something to the fact that f- multiple times throughout the episode mia is kind of cornered into doing something that um to kind of uh uh preserve her life livelihood and and her the life that she's built for herself so she is kind of cornered into attacking and killing and maybe there's something there Maybe she's the crocodile. I, that, other than that, I really have no idea what it's, why it's called crocodile. And I tried to, I did kind of a rudimentary, um, search, um, on Google and I couldn't really find anything or any statements by Charlie Brooker or, or, um, anyone to corroborate why or to shed light on why it's called crocodile. So right off the bat, the opening sequence is really gorgeous. Um, particularly, after Mia and Rob leave the club and you get, we get the shots of them driving, um, like in, in the mountains. And I I meant to look up where this was filmed. So I'm going to Google that real quick, but, um, we get those, those like wide shots of the car just driving in a desolate road around mountains. And it's just, it's freaking beautiful, beautiful imagery. And then, of course, they hit a biker, <laughs> and uh, and they kind of jump into a um, uh, uh, and I know what you did last summer type of scenario, um, where they have to kind of uh, take the body and uh, dispose of it. And what I like about that is that Mia in this, like, this is our introduction to the characters. And first of all, I thought it was a little jarring that we just kind of jumped right into these characters and doing this thing. We d- we have no backstory. We just know that they were kind of partying. But but we we get kind of enough information, I guess. Um, but I like that Mia is the one that's just kind of forced into the situation of dumping the body, and that Rob is the one who's who's kind of taking point and 
and he's the one that's kind of leading it. Oh, and it was where it was filmed in Iceland. So anyway, um, uh, okay. So, so the actual dumping the body and everything, it's, it's funny how the roles were, are, are going to be reversed, uh, later in the episode, of course. But, um, what I really liked about it was that it was just really, it's kind of disturbing how quickly Rob, uh, comes up with a plan. <laughs> um, he's like, I have a sleeping bag in my, in, in my trunk and, and, they go ahead and do it. They even go through the trouble. There, uh, he's as uh, clear um, in his mind. He's he's clear headed enough to like put the put the stones in the in the sleeping bag. That's that was kind of disturbing. And, uh, and yeah, so we get, we just get that brief scene of them uh, dumping the body in the bike, and then we go fifteen years in the future where she is now a successful architect. Um, the haircut that she has, it's kind of this, this pixie cut and, uh, it's a, it's a blonde pixie cut and it, like, I really, first of all, I, I think it looks good, but, um, it really ages her up a little bit. Um, it kind of, it shows us the passage of time. Like she doesn't have that long, that like that long hair. She's just kind of got this more, uh, both, both the hair and the way she's dressed is very, very much a more business-like attire. So you can really tell the kind of way that the time has, the progression of time th- throughout, uh, judging from then to now. And we also see that she has a family and, you know, she's, she's, she's got a kind of a good life and she's about to go out of town, or she's about to go out of town for a, uh, uh, a, uh, a speaking engagement she's giving. Um, because she's a famous architect and everything. And so that's all set up. And then we get, uh, in an introduction of, uh, uh, Shazia, um, where she is, we, we just get a brief introductory scene where she knocks on a person's door and, um, it's kind of introduced that she's a kind of claims adjuster for an insurance company. Now this scene, what I like, first of all, um, before that we get a we get the recurrence of um the song from 15 million merits um the anyone who knows what love is i think is the i think that's the title i i think it has another title but anyway now i've i've lamented the easter eggs that are cropping up all over the place um but the recurrence of this song throughout the series' run is uh one easter easter egg that i actually enjoy quite a bit um it came up in, let's see, Men Against Fire. And then I want to say there was an episode in season two, but I can't, I can't place it. Um, <clears throat> but I kind of like that, that it just pops up about once per season. And so the one thing that I, that I liked going back to Shazia's introductory scene, um, where she, uh, knocks on the client's door is that, I didn't catch this the first time I, I watched it, but like she looks in the, in the window and she sees, she sees the woman put the neck brace on and, and grab the, um, the crutch to clearly showing that she was faking the in, faking the injury. Um, and I like that Shazi is, is a claims adjuster and she's not a detective. Um, because for the most part, for most of this episode, at least the first half of the episode, Shazia's storyline is separate from Mia's. And Shazia's part of the episode just feels a lot, uh, it feels pretty reminiscent of Hated in the Nation, but kind of more grounded and, and straightforward. But I like that she's a claims adjuster because that is, 
I mean, it's a job. It's not like a thing where, like, it doesn't, it doesn't turn her into this detective trope or this detective put, it doesn't fit her into this detective box. Like, I liked Hated in the Nation, or for the most part, I enjoyed Hated in the Nation, but I liked the dynamic between, uh, I think it was Karen and Blue, because that was a detective kind of, kind of no, uh, de- detective storyline in a detective kind of style. But this is different because it's just this girl that's doing her job, this woman that's just doing her job, and she gets kind of caught up in this really terrible, um, chain of events essentially that it's yeah it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit this is a very bleak episode but i'll get to that in a moment so um i mean everything's kind of happening really quickly because um or at least i don't have notes for each individual scene um as as in as much detail because a lot of the exposition at the top of the episode isn't really that um engaging or interesting it's all just kind of setting putting the pieces in place for the episode so then we're shown this uh driverless pizza delivery van which i think is a really cool idea and then uh actually <laughs> it was kind of interesting because um uh, i think around january 11th um pizza hut uh i guess issued a pre- press release uh showing that they're they're actually partnering with i think to- toyota to basically do like there's a concept for um I'll I'll just read it um in a press release pizza had said that it will be a founding member member of a new mobility service business alliance which will apparently take advantage of Toyota's new e-pallet aut- autonomous vehicle platform um so essentially <laughs> they have driverless uh it was introduced at um CES in Las Vegas I guess but um it's basically the exact same principle it's a pizza delivery vehicle kiosk thing that's very similar to what's in this episode but anyway um <laughs> what's funny is that the black mirror twitter account actually uh retweeted pizza hut's uh twitter status of it on this was on january 8th and all they said was all the black mirror twitter account said was we know how this goes uh which i which i was really uh I really got a kick out of. So of course the, the delivery van, the pizza delivery van plays a bigger part, um, later on in the episode, of course, but, uh, we'll, so we'll come back to that, but the, well, I mean, I guess there's not really much else to say about the pizza delivery van. Um, although it is an interesting concept and it's fun to see that black mirror is again on the cutting edge of techno technology advancements, I guess. But, uh, so we get Mia and Rob kind of reuniting at the hotel, um, in Mia's hotel room. And I originally thought that Mia and Rob were having an affair and that this was an ongoing thing. But from as far as I can tell, it, it doesn't seem like that's the case at all. Um, cause she says that she remarks that it's been a few years. This is where I was kind of, I was kind of in my first viewing, I was a little confused by this because she says that it's been a few years. And I kind of thought that I took that to mean, at first I took that to mean that it was a few years after, what had happened. And then obviously it's, that's negated when she says that it was 15 years. And also that makes sense because now she's married and has kids and everything. But, um, I kind of assumed that it would, that it was an affair thing, but I think it was just remarking that it's been a few years since they've met or since they've been like, you know, uh, uh, cross paths essentially. 
And I really like the kind of reversal, the role, role reversal in this sequence because Rob is, he's now like, he's sober and he's trying to make amends for everything. And he tells Mia that, Hey, I want to, I found who this, who the man was and, uh, it's weighing on my conscience. And I really like the role reversal here because Rob, at the time of the accident, Rob did the unthinkable specifically because he's, he would have gone to prison if they were caught. Like there was a chance that he would be, uh, that he would be sent to prison for it. And he, there was no way that he was going to be, there was no way that he was going to let that happen. His life would have been over. And on the flip side, Mia was kind of roped into it and she had a conscience about it. And she, like she, in that's in that opening scene, she immediately went for her phone to call the police. So she had a conscience about it and she's had to live with that. But now in the hotel room, Rob is thinking clearly. He's sober. He's, he's feeling remorseful about it. And it's been weighing on his, weighing very heavily on his mind. And he's the one that has a conscience over it. Whereas Mia, now she's built something for herself and she knows that if the truth gets out in any way, it's going to shatter her entire world. It'll be the, it, her life would be over. Um, her professional life and personal life and everything. So it's just interesting to see that, um, role reverse, reversal at play in, in this moment. Um, and what's really interesting is that it isn't even like he wants to come clean and go public about it. Um, he just wants to write an anonymous letter to the wife of the man that they killed. And like he, he tries to assuage her, her, uh, worries about it by saying that it's going to be not anonymous. She's not going to know who it's from or anything. And then she's just like, you can kind of see her brain kind of working because he's like, no, they have ways to track it. They, they know, they'll know it's where it's from. They'll track it down and everything will be done. And. I kind of wonder if at that, but like, if, and then of course to kind of go through the, go through the rest of the scene, she, he gets up to leave and then she kind of hugs him strangely and then, um, murders him, uh, and with her bare hands. And I kind of wonder at what point did she decide to actually kill him? Um, because when she's kind of working through, like they, they have ways to, uh, ways to track it, track you down and everything. It kind of makes me wonder if she's starting to think like, Oh, I'm going to have to kill this guy. Or if it's when he gets up to leave or I don't know. Cause when she's hugging him, I can't really, I don't really understand why she does it that way. Um, it's, I, I feel like it's like the, like she just wraps her arms around him and it seems like she's just trying to get him to stay. But it also kind of seemed like she was maneuvering him purposely toward the wall to kind of push him up against it to, to get, I guess, a physical advantage over him, I, I guess. Um, so it was, it was kind of, it was kind of unclear, like exactly what her, what her mindset was. But I mean, that was kind of too, uh, to a good, um, effect in, for me viewing it for the first time, because it was definitely a shock when she killed him. Um, and I really didn't know that that was where the episode was going to, going to go. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that. It was just kind of somewhat of a bizarre scene, the way that it was, it was choreographed and in the way that it was, it was done. It, it just didn't, there was a weird kind of lack of connection, um, with me viewing that. I couldn't really track the motivations or anything. So after that, we get, we go back to, uh, 
Shazia and uh, her life essentially. So she's home and um, we get the introduction of the guinea pig, which is such a fun surprise at the end, which I'll talk about, of course, later. But the, the guinea pig's name is Kotcher, by the way. Um, so she says, okay. So she says that the guinea pig, and okay, so in the previous bonus episode, I did mention that, um, I'm single and have no kids, don't really think I'll ever want to have kids or anything. But, so maybe, maybe this is, maybe what I'm about to say is because of that, but, um, Shazia tells her husband, she's like, uh, she says that it'll be, that the guinea pig will be good for Allie. Um, presumably Allie is the, is the, is the baby. So, I mean, maybe this is insensitive or whatnot, but why? Um, like why, why? I mean, I don't understand what the appeal of, of having a guinea pig, like, I, I don't know how that would be good for a, a blind kid. Maybe I kind of wonder if part of the other, part of the scene also had, um, Shazia talking about how they have so much going on with the kid. And so I kind of wonder, there was something, something in, in the phrasing of it. I don't, I didn't mark down the exact quote, but there was something in it that made me think like, well, maybe they're going to, have like some maybe maybe the kid's gonna have some kind of operation where it it'll get the the kid'll get uh its sight back i guess i i that's i don't i don't know but anyway anyway the, obviously that scene had to seed the the whole guinea pig thing and also i mean <laughs> maybe I'm reading too much into that because it could just be that Shazia was trying to you know make her husband feel better about the birthday gift that she that he gave her so anyway. Then we kind of bounce back to, back to Mia's, uh, story in, in the hotel where she puts on porn, which I thought was kind of interesting. Which of course we get a, uh, um, a reference to Wraith Babes from 15 Million Merits, which again, that, that's another, um, uh, that's another Easter egg that I don't, I didn't really mind. And I'll talk about that here in a moment, but. But before that, the whole process of Mia, uh, getting Rob's body out of her, um, hotel room and into her car is, uh, really ballsy, first of all. Um, and I guess kind of clever, but it's, it's really ballsy. She takes the, uh, housekeeping or, um, the, the room service tray or cart and puts his body on, like, on the, on the bottom part of it and then just takes it down to her car and, and, and loads him up. But the interesting thing I found about the scene where she's walking down the hall pushing the cart is that she's looking around. She's very on edge. She's very alert. She's looking around. And it was interesting because when I was rewatching it, she's looking around and I was wondering if that was because, like when I first saw it, I just assumed it was because, you know, she's keeping an eye out to see if anyone's, if any, if she sees, if there are any witnesses or anything like that. But having the context of the full episode, in my mind when I rewatched it, it was interesting to wonder that given what she does throughout the episode, it's plausible that <laughs> what she was doing was she was, uh, keeping an eye out and that if someone were to catch her, she would have just murdered them there. Um, if, if they found her and that's kind of really disturbing to me because she's a very disturbing character. Um, and that that's kind of a disturbing, uh, disturbing sentiment. So, Anyway, so she goes and puts him in the car, and then there's this there's this really creepy scene. Uh, I yeah, it was pretty creepy. 
um, where she's in the car and she's kind of waiting for the construction worker workers to close up uh, where she's going to dump the body. But the phone call in the, in the car, like that's such a, that's such, such a chilling moment and that kind of depressing moment. Uh, so she talks to her husband and then uh, he puts on her son and she's talking to her son. And I love the way that the camera just slowly pans back to the back seat uh, where Rob's dead body is just sitting there. Like the juxtaposition of that, the panning of the, of the camera to the back seat with her having a conversation with her young child is just, I, I really like the, the tone that that strikes. It's very disturbing and, and, uh, kind of eerie. Um, and very, just very messed up. So then we get to where she is going into the construction site to dispose of the body, which first of all, I mean, not to be too, uh, I don't, I don't know how this is going to sound, but that's kind of an effective way to dispose of a body. Um, like she opens the grate and she just, she just drops them down. I don't know what is meant. Like, I don't know what was down there. I don't know if it was going to be like whatever is down. I don't know what the likelihood of him being discovered would have been, but, uh, kind of effective way to dispose of the body. But what I do want to mention is that when she goes into the construction site, there is a sign posted, uh, that shows that it's her, her, obviously her, uh, architecture firm, her, her building and everything. But the, the display on it is affordable living for all eco housing with renewable power. Now there's speculation online that she's the actual architect of the housing system and 15 million merits. And, uh, like the, like, the idea of renewable powers, like, you know, that's why they're cycling so hard on 15 million merits. And I could buy that, especially with the song being, uh, recurring in this, in this, uh, episode and also Wraith Babes being referenced as well as Hot Shots later in the episode. Um, but again, like I said last time, I, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care about a singular, uh, timeline for this, for this series, but it's an interesting thought to kind of, uh, bring up. And help detract from the actual point of the episode, I guess. Um, and so at this point, I really liked how unlikely it felt that Mia and Shazia were going to cross paths. Like, the plotting of the episode, like, they, they set it up purposely that these two characters were completely independent of each other. And it just seemed like each one had their own motivate, like, the, like their own story arc. Like, it seemed kind of, uh, hard to determine how they were going to, um, cross paths. And so after that, and this is also interesting. So we get the, the second scene with Shazia and a client or a, uh, um, I guess, what would you, what would you call? I work for an insurance company. What would you call that? Um, <laughs> injured party, I guess. I don't know. I work for a life insurance company, so I don't deal with like claims like that. But anyway, um, it's interesting because this is the second, scene we get with that, with her, her job essentially. And I kind of feel like this, it, I was kind of surprised that this is the introduction of the whole capturing of, of memories and everything and that, that kind of technology, which I can kind of respect because it does set it up to where, um, it is kind of a slow burn to set, set up the conceit of the episode and the kind of black mirror esque, uh, technology and everything. Um, cause I guess, uh, like, I guess one of my issues was that 
it's just kind of weird that we would have a scene where she's um that introduces her as a claims adjuster and um seeing a woman clearly faking an injury and everything and then later we have a scene with another person uh that shows like the the technology she has it just seems kind of weird, like a weird choice in terms of exposition and everything that she would that we would have a somewhat superfluous scene where she is uh, just introduced as an, a claims adjuster, but like, why not just kind of economize things and have a claims adjuster scene with the woman faking and then also have the memory thing introduced there. But then also, like I just complimented how strong the plotting of the episode is. And I guess like that initial scene was meant to show that, you know, she's, that's what she does as, as her job is she checks to see if people are lying about claims and everything. And I guess that's, and we don't, we didn't really need the, uh, technology aspect of it. Plus it does kind of make it, it's not until we're introduced to that, that we realize that that's how things are going to come into play with Mia and Shazia. So, I mean, it is a little bit more time spent somewhat in the dark about how these characters are going to intersect, which is always good for like tone and, and the suspense of the episode. So the actual technology, the, um, the kind of recollection recorder or whatever you want to call it um, is really like one of my, I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorite black mirror uh, technology things, but it's a very interesting uh, concept. Um, like, like, okay. And I'm, I'm eating my words throughout this entire review. I know I am, but while I have had some issue with how similar the tech in the series is, um, this is a really cool meld of familiar black mirror technology. Like it's clearly the TCKR technology and it's a great meld of that with something new. So like they're using this, this type of technology to read someone's memory. And also the fact that the, that's shown that the actual display and the, it looks like a small, like portable tube television, like the way that it's shown to be very rudimentary is kind of cool. And considering that we just saw an episode with like the pristine tech of Archangel, it's a, it's a nice kind of kind of change up to go to something that's kind of looks like you'd have to smack it a couple times to get it to have an accurate reading. And so I, I just like the idea of, of uh, reading, recording people's memories in order to get a clear picture of what, occurred and, and what's, uh, get a clear picture of an event. And I like the idea of kind of, uh, the way that Shazia explains is that they kind of take different recollections from different people at, to kind of create a, a mosaic, uh, a mosaic of, of what happened. And obviously always, obviously memory is subjective and there's some kind of cool things that they do with, with that here in this, uh, in this episode going forward. But, um, it's just, it's just an interesting, um, an interesting concept to introduce into a Black Mirror episode. And so at this point, okay, so at this point we're about halfway through the episode and Mia goes home and her husband says that, uh, then I guess the next morning or that morning, she says that, the, that tonight is the play. And now I know that the, that the play that she goes to is the end of the episode. It's just surprising that as much as I really enjoyed the plotting of the beginning of the episode, it's just when I was rewatching, I was like, the play is that night. So the, the rest of the episode takes place over, over the course of that one day. And it's just shocking because so much happens in that one day. 
And it's kind of, uh, it's just surprising to me that the second half of the episode covered such a short amount of time. But it really works for the story because at this point we are kind of going into, it's kind of a breakneck kind of speed thing for the most part, which I'll get to in a moment. Now, having seen the other episodes at this point as well, because the way I do Black Mirror episodes is I watch the whole season on my own just without taking notes or anything, just kind of absorb it, and then go back and rewatch the episodes and take notes for reviews. So when I saw Shazia with the candies or, or mints or whatever she has, like that triggered something of a memory to me. Like I kind of like at the moment when I was rewatching the episode, I was wondering if there was like, I was trying to remember if there was something about the candy that she eats. Um, or if that was in another episode, I don't maybe kind of ironic for this, for this episode discussion, but I don't remember if it does come into play later with like, like it, it's used in some other episode for a similar effect or for a more plot centric, uh, event or if it's just something that I'm conjuring up in my in my mind because my memory sucks but I just remembered that and then it didn't pay off in this episode so maybe I'm confusing with something else entirely um so as much as I like the the pacing of this episode and the kind of disparate plot lines of Mia and Shazia um there's one moment where like there's a stretch of time. It's, it's not that long of a, of a time in the episode, but it's enough to kind of make me kind of waver my attention a little bit. But there's a time, there's a moment where like Shazia is interviewing. I think she's interviewing the, the woman that the, that the man sees, uh, that the injured man sees. And then that's kind of cross cut with Mia kind of continuing to cover things up. Like she's, she was uh she was staring at the at the newspaper article that Rob had and she's kind of you can tell like 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 Andrea Riseborough does a really good job of internalizing the guilt and, and the uh and the fear that she's experiencing that the character is experiencing in that moment but th- it just seemed kind of dry that we just had this kind of uh stretch of time where Shazi is just interviewing someone and Mia is is you know uh uh, getting rid of the evidence, cleaning out our car. It just felt like it just kind of dragged just a little bit there. Um, but the thing with, um, the uh, kind of the plus side of that is that it's shown that Shazi is very good at her job and she's a very personable person. Like she just seems like really sweet and like genuine. And that makes her run in with Mia so like even more tragic and, uh, terrible. So like she goes, like she, interviews the dentist and uh she's like he's he's kind of nervous about the whole uh memory thing because he doesn't want you know the fact that he was kind of a peeping tom come into play or like like be like exposed or anything um and so so she's very personable she's like yeah i'm not it's fine you're you're okay it's it's okay um but one thing that i did really like about this is that the whole concept of the of the technology is that memory subjective and everything and i love the scene where uh the dentist says that uh the guy like there one of the guys in the memory was wearing a green coat coat and then Shazia says like, oh, it was actually yellow. And then you see on the screen, you see it change from green to yellow. I I thought that that was a really cool, really cool thing to like a really cool flourish to add to this display of technology in this, uh, in this, in this episode. And then 
after that, we get Shazia asking for information about Mia at the hotel. And I mean, that's fine too. It's again, it shows that she's, she's personable and everything, but it just seems like kind of a lot of legwork. Like, I mean, it tracks well. It's, it makes sense that that's how she gets the information, but it just seems kind of dry. Um, and then of course the, the clerk at the desk set references, uh, something about the judge of hotshots being caught with a with a boy, um, in the hotel. And that's why he can't release information or something like that, which that's fine. That's, that's okay. Um, and then we finally get kind of the, uh, joining or the, the meetup of, of Mia and Shazia. And it's a really compelling scene because Shazia is, she, like I said, she's just a very genuine person and very straightforward. And she's just like, Hey, I just need to get some information about the, about this accident that you were witness of. And then I kind of feel like she's, Maybe it's because she had mentioned to her husband that that it's a she gets a bonus or something if she completes it that day or something to that effect. But um, but the fact that she tells her she tells uh, Mia that uh, she would have to get like if she if she, it's part of the law that part of the law that she will have to that she has to kind of give give any information she can for that for for it. Uh, for the case or for the claim. And it, I mean, that that's kind of counter to what she said earlier about, um, about kind of the legal precedent set or set or not really legal precedent set, but like, uh, that's kind of counter to what she said earlier. Cause it's led to believe that, you know, it's all obviously very optional and everything, but I kind of feel like that's maybe Shazia just trying to get the information she needs, uh, so that she can get that bonus or, or what have you. But yeah, so, and I mean, I guess, uh, I don't know. And, and regardless of some, regardless of the, de- the details of that, I thought that the actual scene with the, with the scene between them is, is actually really intense because Mia is just completely trapped. Uh, she is, she's back against the wall and like she goes, um, into the kitchen to, to make some, I think she was making tea and like, it's just this very kind of eerie moment where she looks and she sees the knife. Like she's staring at, at the knife on the, on the, uh, on the counter. And it's just like, it's just really just eerie. That moment's very, uh, unsettling to me. And then the actual memory read is very intense. Um, because you get, uh, there's a moment where you, <laughs> like after she sees the, after she remembers the, the van hitting the guy, like you kind of think for a moment, it's like she would have been in the clear. Everything would have been fine. If, um, if you know, it just stopped there. Um, of course, if it stopped there, of course, uh, Mia probably never would have been, been caught, but I mean, an entire family would have survived. Um, so Shazia gets what she needs and she's like, she sees the actual like murder and everything. And then she just tries to get out of there as quickly as she can, which I mean, you know, I, I could sit here and, and say that I have a problem with, with Shazia trying to get out and like not being subtle about it at all. But also on the other hand, it fits well with her character. Cause like I said, she's a very personable character. She's very, uh, she seems like a very kind and gentle person. So when she sees this, when she sees this just horrific act, and she knows that she's in the presence of someone who has killed, who now suspects that she would 
have access to that memory of her killing someone, of course she's not going to exercise subtlety when she tries to get out of there. Um, so that track, the problem that I have is the car not starting. That just seemed a little bit too much. Like that seemed like it was just a little too cliche. It's it, too convenient. There wasn't anything to set up earlier in the episode that the car had any types of type of trouble. So it just seems like it just seems like it's stalling just to get to the point where Mia can can uh, can get Shazia and. To play devil's advocate with that, yeah, that, that's kind of okay because when she, when Shazia gets to the car, there's that false sense of security that the audience gets that, oh, okay, she's gonna be fine. She's gonna get out of it and then the episode's gonna go a different route. But, um, but yeah, the, the call, the car start, uh, the call, wow, the car stalling was just a little bit, a little bit too much for me. I kind of wish that it, they would have done some, they could have done something else. To make it so that that uh, that Mia could could get to Shazia, and at that moment, because as much as I had problems with with uh, the car not starting and everything, I kind of wondered, um, or in the, or the scene after that where uh, Mia has has uh, bound and and gagged uh, Shazia, in that moment, I man, it would have been. It would have been a little bit more interesting and even, and maybe, maybe it would have made the episode even, maybe even too dark. But it would have been more interesting if Shazia never even saw Rob in the memory. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious if that was ever considered in the writing process of this episode. Like, if you think about it, like, yeah, she saw that the, she saw the murder take place. Like, she saw the memory of the murder. And that propelled, uh, Mia to take her and then murder her whole family and everything. But, um, can you imagine, like, how, how much more bleak it would be if, like, it just stopped, like, the memory machine just stopped at the van hitting the guy, and then, um, and then all of this, like, everything that happens after that is just because Mia assumed that Shazia saw what, what, uh, she was hiding, um, yeah, I, I just, I just think that that would have been a, a more intense and, and bleak, uh, uh, thing to put into the episode. But anyway, um, Mia covering her bases and like, and using the actual recollection machine to verify that no one knew that Shazia was going to see Mia. That is so incredibly dark. Like this, this is such a bleak moment for the, for the episode. Like, yes, okay, Mia goes and murders her husband and, and child, young, very young child in cold blood, um, later in this episode, and it makes for a very bleak ending. But this moment right here, where Mia is using the memories of Shazia to verify that, that no one knew that she was gonna be there, is so dark, specifically because Shazia dies knowing that Mia was going to go after her family to keep them quiet. And that is just freaking brutal. Like I like I can't imagine like and again like Shazia is this very nice pleasant person throughout the entire episode. Just the thought of her knowing that her family is going to come to harm because because she had no choice but to, you know, like the be uh, something out of her control her memory betrayed her to to kind of expose them like that is just that is just so 
heartbreaking and, and brutal and very bleak. Um, just that she dies knowing that. And this whole kind of the avalanche of violence that happens from here on out is where the episode feels particularly like a Coen Brothers movie. Um, and what I mean by that is that, like, Mia is a person that's completely out of her element. Um, she's going to great lengths to do just horrendous things that she's not at all prepared for or even necessarily good at. Like, she's going on this murder spree to keep, to keep her secret uh, alive or to keep it so that she's not um exposed but she is not like she's not a killer per- in particular um but she's just she's kind of going it, it just seems like this it, it has a Coen brothers kind of feel to it anyway um she's kind of thrust into this thing where she has to do terrible th- from her perspective she has to do terrible things so we get a scene where Mia is walking into Shazia's house and her husband's just sitting on, on the couch watching TV and messing around on his phone. And the way that, the way that Mia slowly, slowly stalks him throughout the house is very, very suspenseful and, and, um, unnerving. Like when she walks in the door with the hammer, like the way that it's shown, she's dressed all in black. She has a hood up. Um, and then you get like, she's, she's walking into the frame and then you see the hammer and you just know exactly, obviously you know exactly what she's planning. That's like, that's so like chilling. It's like a horror movie in that moment. And, and with the actual death of the husband, she waits for him to get in the bathtub and his actual death is so brutal. And like her hitting him in the head with a hammer a couple, like a couple times, like the show doesn't shy away from it. And I like that she's propelled into that by her phone vibrating because she's, she still has like a little bit of, I don't know if that's, that's part of her humanity still staying there that she's, she's hesitating because she's not like a cold blooded killer exactly. Or she's not like a, she's not like a practiced like hitman or assassin or anything, but like her reaction to, um, to the phone vibrating is to take action and actually kill this man because she's so, compelled like she's so propelled by her uh by her need to keep her secret secret essentially um and then the moment where you hear the kid and she sees the kid in in the crib is beyond messed up like because you know obviously you know exactly what she's thinking that they can do the memory thing on on the kid and and we would uh and she'd be caught and then she moves toward the kid and then and then uh, and then kind of cut to the, the musical. Um, it's just so, man, that is so dark. That is so dark. And, um, I, I had this note that it's, uh, like as dark as it is, and as, as terrible, terrible and, and horrifying and, and monstrous as, um, as Mia is throughout this episode and is revealed to be in this episode, she at least made it to her kid's musical. So, I mean, that's, she's not a complete monster, I guess. Um, uh, that, that's a joke. I can't. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and I also like the, the kind of, um, the, (laughs) uh, the relevance of the, of the song in the musical where the lyrics are, we could have, we could, we could have been anything we wanted to be. And it's not too late to change. Like that is just like, it feels like a dagger at, Mia. And I love the way that Andrea Riseborough, uh, plays, 
plays that scene at the musical because she's just sitting in her chair. She's completely, obviously she's mentally not there and it's just, she's trying to keep her emotions in check and keep her, um, keep her, keep her sanity essentially. I don't know if I would go so far as to say sanity, but keep her, um, keep up the wall of the, keep, keep the wall intact within her mind so that she's not showing that she's emotionally affected by, the horrific things that she's in her mind had to do to survive. Um, I just, and I love that. And I love the juxtaposition of the, the music, uh, the songs in it. Cause it's, it's a very self-reflective, reflective lyrics. And she's obviously, uh, not in a position to really think about, you know, her, her actions. Um, so using the Guinea pigs memories to catch Mia, I, I like that. It's, it's a fun twist. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a clever kind of ending to the episode. Um, but it kind of leaves some lingering questions that could be, could be a little nitpicky, but I mean, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't, didn't at least comment on them, but like, how could they have gotten the memory if they need the, the guide, if they need to guide the subject to the memory? Like each time that, uh, Shazia used it, like she had the beer to, uh, enhance the memory and then, um, she, she would guide them saying like, okay, well, you know, uh, like asking them questions about the night, like show me the van hitting and, uh, and what were you watching and stuff like that. Um, but then again, like, like you can get, you can get kind of hung up on, on that, like the mechanics of the plot and everything. But I feel like I didn't mark down the actual, um, dialogue, but Shazia said at the beginning when she was meeting with the guy with the, with the uh, broken arm that the, uh, like he, he makes a remark saying that, um, he thought that only the police use the memory machine and everything. And she said that the, I, I feel like she said, um, like, I think it's implied that the machine that she had, the, the kind of machine that she used was kind of a hand me down and that the police use a more advanced technology. But then that's also negated because it looks the exact same when, when they have the, the machine up with the guinea pig next to it. Um, but I kind of feel like maybe they can, maybe there's a stronger technology for the police. Um, or at least I got the impression from that scene earlier that the tech tech she was using was kind of a uh, rudimentary and not as advanced as what the, what the police use. And then of course we get, you know, the final scene where the police come to the musical and then, you know, we cut to black and it, that's the end of the episode. And so I feel like I wasn't as in depth with this episode as I was with Archangel. And most of that is because there wasn't, as far as characterization, it, it wasn't as strong a character focus as, um, as Archangel was. Cause I, I got a lot out of the characters of Archangel and even also USS Callister, which I keep forgetting to mention. I, I recorded this episode. I'm recording this episode about an hour after I recorded the Archangel episode, just a peek behind the curtain. But for both episode recordings, I'm wearing my new USS Callister shirt. But anyway, um, yeah, so I, I feel like I didn't have, a, there wasn't enough like kind of character to really dive into with it, but I do like the circumstances of the episode and, and the way that the, even though there's not like um strong focus on character, there is a lot of dark character work being done. Like, like, Andrea, uh, Riseborough's, I, and by, by the way, I don't know if I'm pronouncing Riseborough correctly, but, um, that's neither here nor there, but, um, but yeah, it, 
she does a really great job of internalizing the 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 kind of guilt and the the feelings that she's having during this during this uh two day stint two day two day murder spree and i do, i do appreciate the episode for that and i do like the technology used for it so overall i i really like the episode specifically because of andrea riseborough's performance i thought that that was really great and i and i thought that the storyline and the, and the pacing of the episode aside from a couple of uh little blemishes here and there was really pretty good like like really strong and and uh really pretty good and it's a I don't know. I just, I like the darkness of the episode. Like it's a very dark and bleak episode. That's, uh, that's kind of disturbing. But you know, in talking about it, I don't, I actually think I might rank Archangel a little higher than this one. Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to revisit both of them, but, um, but yeah, I just, I feel like I got a little, a little more out of Archangel than I did in, uh, than with, uh, with crocodile, but both are really good episodes and, and, uh, it's a good first three episodes for the, for the season. Now I do have a bit of a fan theory that fences pizza is behind everything. Um, because they wanted to cover up the negligence of their driverless delivery system. So I kind of, I don't know how it would work out exactly, but I get the, like, I, I like the idea that, uh, like my personal fan theory is that, the CEO or someone involved in Fences Pizza convinced Rob to go to, um, uh, <laughs> this is ridiculous, to go to Mia, um, so that, so that she would be, uh, they used him as a pawn to get him murdered so that her, um, part of the witness of the, at that point, premeditated, um, <laughs> uh, injury of the of the guy being run over by the van um so that it would be compromised and that they would get the claims adjuster murdered specifically so that they can they wouldn't be um culpable or liable for the for the injury in the episode so that's my official headcanon um and also to throw in since it's since the episode seems to be tied pretty closely to 15 million merits i'm just going to go ahead and just assume that fences pizza is the kind of the head of the dystopian future of 15 million merits so anyway uh that'll do it for this bonus review of uh, uh this bonus review episode and i do want to mention i forgot to mention this at the top but um with uss callister my my uh my bonus review of USS Callister. Um, uh, my friend Tony and listener Tony, he said, he made reference, he made a note that I was pronouncing, um, the, I, I supposedly mispronounced the word ensign as ensign, which ensign is how I've always read it. And I looked up on YouTube and I showed him the YouTube pronunciation that it could be either one, but ensign makes a lot more sense. So anyway, if anyone's, if anyone was, uh, wondering that, uh, yeah, I'm, it is technically correct in both pronunciations. Anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to end this episode cause it's getting late and I feel like I've rambled a lot on here. Um, let me know what you thought of crocodile and also of archangel. Um, just, you know, shoot me a tweet or send me an email or, you know, 
comments on Facebook. You know, there's a lot of avenues you can go to contact me. Um, but anyway, if you like what you've heard and you want to help support what I do, uh, go ahead and leave a rating review on iTunes, or you can make a donation through PayPal by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com. Or you can set up recurring payments at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, which if you become a patron, you'll get access to a special RSS feed where I record film commentary tracks, uh, specifically for Patreon, uh, uh, supporters. And I'll, of course, you can also check out my other podcasts and, uh, my other podcasts at, uh, obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. Now, next time on the podcast, I'm going to be, well, first I'm going to be reviewing back there, uh, on the main feed for, um, as a main episode for, uh, Twilight Zone season two. The bonus review for that is going to be 1960s adaptation of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Then soon after that, I will knock out my reviews for Hang the DJ and Metalhead. Very excited to talk about those two episodes of Black Mirror in particular because I feel like there's going to be a lot to be said about that and uh, about both episodes. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But yeah, uh, having said all that, thank you guys so much for listening and uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on AnthologyPod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.